channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, we will explore crafting the value conversation. Well, Ron, we've got a great topic today and a great friend on the line with us today, our Verisage colleague, Dan Morris. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thanks, Ed. Hi, Ron. Hi, Dan. Thanks for doing this. Uh, this is great, Ed, because as you know, Dan is one of the co-founders of the Verisage Institute, so we're thrilled to have him on. Uh, this is his first appearance on the Soul of Enterprise, so so Dan, welcome, and, and thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. Oh, you bet. This is a great opportunity, and uh, really proud that the uh, Soul of Enterprise has been as successful as it's been. Well, it, it's destined for even greater heights now that you're on it. <laughs> All right, enough with the mutual admiration society. <laughs> let's uh let's jump in. I'm going to I'm going to start this off by by sharing with our audience a story that of when myself, Ron and Dan presented at a various stage gathering in I think Las Vegas this one was where Dan was the first to lead us off with this subject of crafting the value conversation and I had the unfortunate job of following up with him with talking about something as mundane as project management for the knowledge workers. And I I believe I led off with with something like this where I said, look, if you get as good at the value conversation as Dan, you can suck at pricing, you can suck at project management, you can suck at just about everything that follows, but you're going to have a happy, successful customer relationship because Dan knows really ha- how to do this right. So uh, how's that for mutual admiration? And I, I want to jump in and ask you a question, Dan. What, what started you on this quest to, to get so good at the value conversation? Was it something that you were conscious about or did it just kind of happen over time for you? I'm sure it happened over time and, and because I don't think anybody sits out and says – Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna become an expert in the value conversation. I mean, they might if they knew about it, but remember, the value conversation was hidden in every experience that we had. Uh, this was before the famous book by uh, Joe Pine, by Pine and Gilmore, called the Experience Economy. It came out of uh, just an understanding of the human psychology that we need to we need to help people achieve their dreams. And the only way we can help people achieve their dreams is to figure out what's important to them. And that required some listening skills and the ability to what I refer to as 
bridge the bridge the gaps and the structural holes of of the world that they had so that they could move to the world that they wanted and it wasn't a conscious decision but it just felt right so over time it um, it morphed itself into this concept that we call now the value conversation it, 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 sorry Ed, I'd hate to break in but Dan just to give our listeners some background I could you provide your bio? I mean, I know you're a practicing CPA, but you do a lot more than that. You work with a law firm. You kind of do venture capital and other types yeah. of things. Just give your background because I, I just want to give people context of where you're coming from. Well, I think I think it's important to start today. I hail from the Pacific Northwest where, where we're uh, abundantly surrounded by great nature. And one of the things I learned a long time ago is if we look for – if we look for what is now called holistic uh, responses to life, that, that that kind of framed my my upbringing. I'm um, a student of classic liberal arts, so not so much just pure accounting, but somebody who looked at a lot of things. I have um, been a, a founding partner of a successful Silicon Valley-based. A CPA firm that has recently merged with a group called Exemplar. And Exemplar represents the first multidisciplinary practice that combines law, tax and accounting, an investment bank for capital raising, and a true consultancy under one common core parent that with offices across the country where we partner internally the various expertise so we don't have ego on the table. My subspecialty is structuring, inter- helping entrepreneurs structure their global enterprises with an emphasis to uh, my, you know, um, mitigating risk and navigating the international business opportunities. That's really where my, my expertise and forte is. Excellent. Uh, continue, Adam. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just going to take you back. Yeah, no, that's fine. And I, in fact, I was going to go back there, but I wanted to 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 get Dan on the record as for, for many reasons. But I I also want you to define for us, Dan, this idea of value conversation. We've used the the, the that that term already five or six times. And um, but let's what, what's your definition of the value conversation? My definition of the value conversation is to get to the heart of what is motivating the prospect or our customer to make changes in their lives. In other words, if they aren't a customer of my firm today, why are they with me? Why, why are they talking to me? Why isn't their current provider answering these questions for them? And it's about trying to understand where they want to go. And what's it, not what's it worth to them, but what are the opportunities if they can achieve their dreams? And on the flip side, flip side of that, what could be a cost if they don't achieve their dreams, in other words, what's their what's their risk? So, what we need to do is align our service offerings to their wants and their needs to achieve those dreams. So, the value conversation is really about what's important to the customer, not what's important to the firm, but what's important to the customer. Right, and I've heard those those two sides of the coin from so many different people. My friend Rob Johnson calls it cost not to solve, benefit to solve. Uh, Mahan Khalsa calls it you know evidence of the problem and impact of the solution. So there, there there's really two sides to that, and it's uh, just fascinating. But both you, Mahan, and Rob all mention this idea of listening as being the first step in in creating this value conversation. And what I'm curious about is explain for our audiences, other than just shutting up, 
what it, what is good listening? What is what is the experience of good listening? I think I think for me, active listening is minimizing a preconceived notion of a solution before we really understand what they really want. In other, lots of service providers have have a hammer and therefore every customer's a nail, right? So you, you've got to be able to be open to a toolbox that um, allows you to be creative. And so that, that active listening takes both sides of your brain because it's connected to both ears. And you need to take notes to listen to their keywords, the words that they might repeat. Uh, you ask clarifying questions. You allow pauses and you allow yourself time to think about the implications of where they're going. And I think one of the things that I also do well is I try to um, interrupt and probe a little bit deeper questions to make sure I have a better understanding of what they're asking for because it's very difficult for our customers or our prospects. They don't walk in trying to have a value conversation. They walk in with a pain of some form. They want something. And so what we need to understand is, uh, like a child who has a cough, it's important to cure the, to, to calm the cough, but what we need to find out is what caused the cough. So we have to dig a little deeper. And you can only do that by listening to how the customer describes where they are and where they want to go. Dan, you brought up several good points here, and I just want to focus on one thing. When we talk about this value conversation, people tend to focus on solving problems. And and I know that's a large part of what service providers do, whether they're doctors, lawyers, accountants, whatever. But you're also helping people, like you said, pursue their dreams, pursue opportunities or possibilities. And, and I don't want to discount that. That's a huge part of it. It's not always about solving problems. It's about pursuing an opportunity that will create a different future as well, correct? Yes, it is. I mean, the customer generally comes in with a problem. In their mind, they have a problem. What we have to do is figure out, again, solving the problem may be the simplest thing there is, but how do we stop that problem from recurring? What is What was the cause of that problem? It's kind of like the old adage, you know, if I, if I give a a poor person a fish, I feed them for a day. If I teach them how to fish, they can feed themselves forever. If I show them how to control the pond, well, they can create a better future. Right. You know, one of Ed and, and my favorite quotes is from this uh, self-taught philosopher, Eric Hoffer, who was a San Francisco longshoreman. And he said language was invented to ask questions. Answers may be given by grunts and gestures, but questions must be spoken. And he believes that humanness came of age when man asked the first question. And it sounds like this entire crafting of the value conversation is really about the art of questioning, isn't it? And like you say, not only active listening, but I would even say naive listening. Because to ask a question kind of shows doubt in your mind not something that professionals are usually willing to, to show, right? We, we're supposed to be the experts. We don't like to express doubt. But the art of questioning requires some doubt, doesn't it? Ron, I, I think you, you said something with, with deep wisdom there, the naive question. 
I think we've all been in rooms or we've all been in conversations with other experts who ask questions like that attorney would on a witness. They only ask questions that they already know the answers to. Well, that might demonstrate that I'm smart and I'm an expert in the area, but it doesn't do anything of a probative value. You haven't learned anything. So you have to ask those naive questions. I mean, as Simon Sinek would say, we need to, we need to uncover the why of what, whatever the person's about, not their how or their what, but what is their motive? And you can't predispose what their motive is. I just came out of a conversation that I wasn't planning with while I was in my Boston office, an attorney brought me in to talk to a gentleman about a very innovative idea. But where he started the conversation and where we left it, we now have an inkling of a business. He, he, he lit up and he goes, all of a sudden you're telling me what we really have here is a startup, not just a, an idea. And I said, yes, you have something. But it took that crafted questioning and looking at ways to, to see his opportunity and some of those barriers to his to his opportunity to help him vision what what might be a a remarkable really neat value to a business offering but he didn't know how to articulate it and so it took actually it took an attorney a colleague of mine and myself to get an idea of now we have a better canvas we don't have a photograph yet but we have a good canvas right right well, Dan, we're up against a break, but when we come back, I want to continue to explore this idea of, of naive uh, listening because I do think you're right. I, th- I think this is pretty profound, and, and I'm not going to take credit for it. I'm going to give the credit to Peter Drucker. And I also want to talk to you about your approach to the five C's of value, which I, which I think is very, very interesting and our listeners will find great, uh, great value in. But first, folks, um, we'd like to remind you that you can follow the show at verisage.com slash TSOE. You can also uh, send us a message on Twitter at hashtag AskTSOE. And you can also email Ed or myself at TSOE at verisage.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com TSOE to find out more. Great leaders today have certain capabilities that set them apart. These leaders have discovered transformational leadership. Now you can discover the same ideas, insights, and programs that have led them to success. Inside Transformational Leadership, hosted by Kate Ebner, is produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. We'll explore these stories and concepts every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests 
new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with the co-founder, one of the co-founders of the Verisage Institute, our good friend, Dan Morris. Dan, welcome back. And we're talking about crafting the value conversation. And just to get back really quick onto this naive listening you know, Peter Drucker made a very interesting point. He said when he consults, I never ask these questions or approach these assignments based on my knowledge and experience in these industries. He says, I bring my ignorance to the situation. Now, get this line. Ignorance is the most important component for helping others to solve any problem in any industry. What's your reaction to that? Because when I read that, that sounded so counterintuitive. Well, Drucker's just the best that there ever was. And I've never thought of it in the light you just shared that. But I think I was getting at it earlier in our conversation that these predisposed notions, right? I think think we bring our knowledge to the meeting because that's our history. That's who we are. We can't leave that at the door. I mean, I'd like to intellectually, but I can't. But what we have to be careful about is is that predisposition of an outcome based on what we assume to be the customer's issue, it, because they might show signs or they might they might demonstrate that they have a, a question about a tax return when it's really ultimately an issue about an exit strategy or a wealth preservation or how do I bring my children in? It's really not the issue that brought them in, but what's that, what's that cause for the question? And if we, if we, if we aren't ignorant, that naive questioning and really probing, how, how would we ever find out what the real challenge is and what the real opportunity really is? Right. This is like one of Ed's favorite mantras, but you know, just like in the medical profession prescription without first thorough diagnosis is malpractice right Um, and that's really what you're trying to do here and the diagnosis is kind of where you bring that naive listening and even to some extent your ignorance you know I I think a lieutenant Columbo scratching his head saying I'm confused can you explain that you know and 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 just being that naive questioner that that expresses doubt, which I know is a hard role for us as experts, but I really do think that gets to the heart of the matter. I agree with you completely. So the other thing, Dan, that um, you, you did a video that uh, we're going to try and post up on the show notes if we can get permission to use it on this whole idea of crafting the value conversation. And one of the things you, you talked about is the five C's of value, and. This is important no matter what type of organization you're in. And and I'll just go through the five C's and then we'll kind of go through your approach with each one of these. And then I'll let Ed get in here too. But the first one is you've got to comprehend the value to your customer. Then you've got to, of course, create that value. And there's a whole lot of things that go in there, not just the technical work that you do or the technical product that you do, but also the customer experience. Then you've got to communicate that value. 
which a lot of organizations are not very good at communicating value. And then the fourth is they have to convince the customer that they must pay for the value. And then, of course, the fifth is they've got to capture a fair share of that value with their own pricing strategies. So let me just, with those five outlined, let me just ask you, how do you go about comprehending the value? I know it's part of this value conversation, but what other strategies do you use to comprehend at a really deep level customer value? It's all it's all interrelated, but but for me to comprehend the value, it you listen to the soft words, and the soft words are again how you're how you're coming across and trying to figure out what their hopes and their dreams are. In other words, why is this so important to them? Right? I mean, is it is it a, in a tax world? Is it a fear of a poorly prepared tax return and a tax audit and examination and all the psychological and financial? challenges that would create or is it about seeing that they leave their wealth to their to their families in a way that allows them to continue to do great things you have to listen to that so that you can understand where they're coming from and the vision or the view that they see right we can we could both go to the edge of the grand canyon but we may see different things so we have to we have to learn to listen to that interpretation of what they see and what vi- future they want and that takes a lot of time and it's and it's a lot of conjecture i mean they, they nobody comes out and says this is what the value is to me uh, you you dance around a little bit a little bit like a a chef has to figure out how to to bring the right ingredients together to get that aha flavor, right? And sometimes we don't know the ingredients we're going to have until they walk into the door. So, and it's not instantaneous. It sometimes it requires soaking time. You got to you got to noodle on this for a little bit. You need to ask those naive questions or those ignorant, those questions from ignorance, and try to really understand and help the customer clarify in their own mind what's really important. And I'm I'm curious, Dan, as to why you you think that many professionals, I think with with the possible exception of doctors, or maybe this has just been my experience, but I think that 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 doctors seem to be okay with this. But why do so many professionals, accountants, lawyers, I think even to a certain extent, architects and and uh, advertising agencies tend to shy away from this use of silence or this use of pauses, as you say, or even, hey, listen, I need a couple of days to think about this, and instead are so gung-ho on showing off their knowledge up front and, and jumping in and proposing that solution so quickly. You know, when I was younger in the profession, I was guilty way more frequently of that. And, it, and I think it's because... We are experts that we know our craft, and we've seen so many of these things that before that we have a solution that works, and so everything becomes an assembly line, right? And and it feels good. It says, "Aha! See, I'm smart. I got this. I can answer that question for you right now." But I answered the question that was asked. I didn't ask. I didn't answer the one that they forgot to tell me about, or the unasked question. Right, we didn't we didn't peel away enough of the onion to figure out what the core is all about, and I think they also want to just demonstrate to the rest of the people that they are smart, and I think they want to try to move to the close so they can you know check off a box that says that they've closed a customer, when when in fact all they've done is is scratched the surface and whether they ever 
whether they ever dig deep enough to find out what the real value could be, I, I, I don't know if they'll ever do that. Yeah, it's sort of like a, the analogy I use is the the I'm feeling lucky button, right? The pr- professionals think that they they're that they're supposed to be Google and not even just Google search and then read through what the possible responses are, but go right to the hey, this uh, here's here's what I heard, here's the keywords, boom, let me give you this answer. Right. I mean, it, it, it it's a it's a pump your fist kind of thing. Look at that. I'm so smart. <laughs> Right, and, but in the end, does a disservice not only to the customer but to you as the professional as well. You know, I, I also think it has something to do. You mentioned that we, you know, they, that we we are perceived as the the experts. And what I find fascinating about this is that experts don't don't oftentimes want to admit to their own biases. So I, I can recall conversations in my career as well, like like you, where where I was not as good as this as I am now, but making assumptions about things that the customer comes to us with, you know, maybe where they say, listen, I'm worried about, you know, security and should my data be on the cloud or uh, I'm, I'm worried about, you know, my estate plan, right? And we, we just assume that to them, estate plans means the same thing that it means to us with our, all of our, our richness. And w- one of the, the key skills that I've learned is from, again, I mentioned Mahan Khalsa, is you know just this ability to ask a clarifying question like well you know estate planning means a lot of different things to a lot of people can you tell me what you mean by estate planning and uh, what what I'm constantly surprised by how often that opens up the the richness of conversation on their part oh absolutely I mean <laughs> we have to ask those those open ended questions um, and and probe for more. And I mean, you know, clearly sometimes people say, I don't know. And, you know, the old adage is, well, I understand you don't know, but if you did know, what might the answer be, right? Because they've got some form of an inkling. They're either hesitant to share it. um, They don't know if they don't want to look stupid. But our job, our role must be to figure out, again, what those core issues are and, and it's hard. It's hard not to to have our preconceived biases. I think I'm. I've got enough wisdom today that reminds me that I have my biases, and I share that with them. I'll I'll tell my customers I have a bias. I tend to look at the world this way, but let's make sure I'm looking at it the world the way you need to be looked at, because there are other ways. And I, I'm very curious about this this question. And how, how often do you think you really get this right? Never. <laughs> well, I mean, because what's right, right? I mean, are, are we are we chasing a utopian perspective? I think I get it within. I think I get it within ten percent plus or minus frequently, but only on only on only on engagements where the other the other side. I don't like to say it's it's not the other side. That sounds bad. Where where our customer is open enough to have that conversation. Exactly. And I, I, when we come back from our next break, I think I'm going to want to probe with you on that is, is what, what happens or what do you do when the value conversation goes a little bit askew, goes, goes wrong, and what are some steps that you've taken to either remedy that or, or what your, your plan of action has, has been. But we will talk about that after the break. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at, us at TSOE at Verisage.com, also on Twitter, hashtag ask. 
T-S-O-E. And then finally, for show notes and previews of upcoming shows, please visit www.verisage.com slash T-S-O-E. But right now, we're going to hear from our sponsor, Azamba. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. What if you could close more business with less effort and do it faster? What could your people accomplish if they had their own personal assistant keeping track of meetings and reminding them of follow-ups? What would it mean to have a perfect view of what your team and your prospects and your customers are doing? What if you could run your business from anywhere? You can have it all. Visit www.azamba.com forward slash soul today to find out how. That's azamba, A-Z-A-M-B-A dot com forward slash soul. Conversations concerning money can be a bit daunting. There can be limitations with building wealth. And in general, people don't want to discuss their money until now. Listen each week for Conversations with Money, featuring Franco Caligiuri and Marissa Sipolinski. Our guests make money the conversation piece. How to build and maintain wealth, working with charities, and money and family members. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. We're talking with Dan Morris, one of the co-founders of the Verisage Institute, along with Ron Baker and Justin about Bar- uh, Barnett. I'm right. I got that right. I've, yes. I always forget <laughs> his last name. I say Burnett, but it's Barnett. And um, Dan, I just wanted to ask you about the value conversation gone askew, um, and w- what are the, some of the things that you try to do to make maybe take some corrective action when the the customer is is either being resistant to having the value conversation, and then ultimately what 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 do you do in those situations? Well, that's an interesting question. I, I probably don't consciously think about it. Um, Mostly, I just browbeat them into giving me the answers I want anyway. <laughs> so, 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 I mean, I, I think back. I think back. What I what I try to do is persuade people. They say, "Well, I just want this." I said, "Well, understand. We you can get that from a lot of people, but if you if you want to if you want to achieve something better, then then we need to have this conversation. Or I will sell you a widget for which solves the problem at hand, but does not help you in the future." And I don't want to be a solutions provider. I don't want to be a, a one-trick solution provider. I want to be somebody who's with you. I hate that word partnering, but, but I want to be with you and be that coach or that guidance or that counselor uh, for a long time. And in order to do that, we need to make sure that we're in alignment. Because ultimately, I mean, even on – I have this um, questionnaire on my website, which is cpadudes.com that says, you know, dear prospect, 
we're going to evaluate you as much as you're likely to evaluate us because not all customers are right for our firm and we're not right for everybody else. So part of that challenge is, and we refer to it as never pollute your river at the source, is part of our customer selection criteria. If if a prospect doesn't want to share that kind of stuff with us, then they're likely to be a bad prospect. And sometimes we have to say, you know, thanks, but no thanks. We're not the right people for you. Uh, generally, we can get around that. But uh, and these are these are really conversations. What I'd call larger larger uh, accounts or larger opportunities. You might you wouldn't do it on a five hundred or a thousand dollar opportunity as a professional, but you certainly would in your five, ten, fifty, and a hundred thousand dollar opportunities. And and what are some of the things maybe you could share that, that you do that help you get around it? Is it a question of just assuagement with them, or do you have certain things that you try to say to, to shake them loose a little bit? Well, I think I, I think I, I, I probe further. I, I talk about you know how do they find us? Why are they calling? What what was their motivation? Uh, and and through that questioning, remember human beings love to give answers. So a little bit's a little bit of an ego stroke to the other side, but. You have to be persistent, and um, you got to break you got to break that ice, and, and that's why that's why I say that you know customers really need to care about that bag of skin on that's across the table from them because they won't once they know that you care about them they'll open up to you they won't open up to you if, if it's if it's just about money it has to be about hopes and dreams and wants and satisfaction and the ability to help them see that light at that tunnel. And so you, you have to, you have to bait them a little bit, but you have to help them too. You have to help them see that it's important. Uh, or, or, you know, you can always use fear and say, look, uh, let's, let's assume that we just go with what you have and I give you the solution, but you left either money on the table or it cost you a bunch of extra money in taxes or we formed the wrong kind of a corporate entity or we ended up with an estate tax where we could have avoided it. And then, and then you know, your children will think that mom and dad were an idiot because they didn't listen for ways to save money. And since it's their money now, they'll blame you for costing them. So, so sometimes we have to point out we have to be a little bit of a painter and paint a palette for them so they can see it. And some people just resist, and if they resist, uh, they're not good customers for our firm. And, and let's take the situation where, the, where they, they, they do come around or they maybe didn't resist in the first place. That's fine. We've been talking about value conversation and using that word, word value. It, it is a balance between value that's measurable and value that's for lack of a better term, I guess, spiritual, is it not? And to, to what extent do you actually get to that, talk about that materialist value as well? You know, uh, to me, they're blended. I mean, an exemplar, we have what we call a quad bottom line, and the fourth part of our bottom line is a spiritual bottom line. And that, that if we're not doing it the right, re- the right things for the right reasons to help people feel good about themselves, then we're not achieving our best work. Um, you know, I have a, I have a customer that, is a has a family office and certainly has a, a tremendous amount of wealth, way above the one percent. And he had hired me largely because he knew I had an expertise in a certain area of tax taxation, and he was he wanted to pay me less than he was paying his old providers, and he wanted to pay me probably the traditional way, which is by the hour, which we wouldn't do. And it finally took us. A several-hour conversation on a big um, 
real estate development company where he was coming in at and, and, and taking over a bankrupt uh, building. When all of a sudden, after the third time, I said, here's how I think you ought to achieve your objective, he went, aha, I get it, and I get how you price, and I get your value. And today, his email to me was, Dan, you're a smart guy. Read this document and help me identify where in this document we can be better. Now, I'm going against large law firms. I mean, you know, the Nixon Peabody's of the world. And here I am, this little guy in the Silicon Valley, and my well-heeled customer, who at first resisted me in that value conversation, relies on me to help make sure that he achieves what he wants. So it works in the end. But sometimes you have to be persistent. Right. It, it does take time to build that, that trust, doesn't it? And Dan, I appreciate your candor about how, when I asked you how often you get this value conversation right, you said never. I mean, that, that's, uh, that's quite a statement because this is really an art and we can continuously improve. But getting back to the five C's, we've, we've talked about how you comprehend value really well. Naive listening, the art of questioning, diagnostic before prescription. Let me take you to the second one and just get your thoughts and strategies. How do you create maximum value for your customers? I mean, obviously, technical work is is big part of it, and you're smart. You bring strategies. But what other things do you do to enhance the customer experience, which is such an important part of creating value in the mind of the customer? Well, again, a little bit like you know, comprehending value, the five C's are all – integrated and interrelated. So in, in creating value for our customers, yes, it, 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 it's the foundations are technical capabilities to achieve the objectives that we have. The, but where we start to really create value is where, remember I, I mentioned bridging these structural holes. And, and, and so envision that a customer has a whole bunch of silos of, of areas that they need to work, but they don't know how to bridge from one to the other or to, to bridge it in a shorter Aspect. So you start to bring this this almost um, liberal artsy uh, holistic approach that says, okay, we're able to achieve what you would like in three steps instead of four. We can um, we can uh, achieve it uh, in a simpler or maybe more effective way. We we drive we drive a better solution for them so that they understand that with us. They're, they're wealthier. Going back to my, my real estate developer guy, I basically put a couple of million dollars of after-tax profits in his pocket because I was able to recraft what he was doing without spending any more money of his. He just bought a different asset at a different rate than the asset he thought he was buying. And by changing the terms of the agreement that he was acquiring, I was able to achieve a value. And therefore capturing that, creating that value for the client, in his case, was $2 million. So I can measure it, and I got that aha moment. Right. And Dan, how important is the service guarantee, or what we like to now call the value guarantee, to that second component of the C's, the creating value? I think that it's, I think a little bit like in Nordstrom, in the case of Nordstrom and their unlimited guarantee, it takes risk away from the customer or the prospect for engaging with you. If you have a service guarantee that says, 
you're going to be happy with our service. You may not like the outcome. In other words, I can't guarantee that an audit will go one way or the other with the IRS, but you will at least be more than happy with how we approached it, and that's why you should pay us, and you will achieve, I mean, can, professionals can, can certainly price higher for uh, an item with a guarantee because there's risk that people can pull the pull the trigger. What I've learned in the guarantee world is that it's a reason for people to communicate, and so it's a it's a differentiator between us and our competitors when we're when we're looking at uh, people who are not necessarily going out to bid, but they're talking to two or three firms. I mean, one of the things I did this morning was explain to the prospect that absolutely invite those other big. Um, law firms into the conversation because they'll talk about their, you know, $800 and $1,200 hourly rates and they'll be all excited about that and we'll provide a holistic fixed price solution for whatever their challenge is. It's a competitive advantage. We'll do things differently. So it gives that differentiator. I The guarantee is is extremely important when trying to take risk away from the customer's decision to hire you. Right. And and that leads us to the three C and it's a perfect segue. The third C is communicate value. And one of the things I found um, is one of the things that I think the, the professional should bring up is this idea of customer risk. Because we know that customers are assessing risk in any purchase decision, especially a big one engaging a professional. And there's basically seven components i we don't have time to go through them all but you know it's the performance risk right the, it, it, are you actually going to be able to do what you claim you're going to be able to do there's the financial risk there's the time loss risk boy if this screws up you know how much time am i going to be out to fix it and all of that there's the opportunity yeah. risk there's the psychological risk and even the social risk of my peers you know, are, are going to give me a bad time if I do the wrong thing or my haircut looks funny or whatever. And then there's the physical risk that I could actually suffer bodily harm. How do you deal with those risks? Are, do you have a conversation with the customer and, and say, here's our firm's policy to mitigate these risks? Not as, not as bluntly as you describe them. What I've found is the way I mitigate risk is through transparency I'm willing to share the intellectual capital of the process. And I deal in, especially when you're dealing with um, international structuring or I deal a lot in, in digital currencies and cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. And you have to, you have to persuade the other side that you're mitigating those risks, all those risks, whether it's, whether it's uh, risk of missed time or opportunity cost or fear that we'll be able to do it or not do it and do we have the capacity, we walk through those conversations and it says, hey, I, need you, I need you to commit so I can, I can commit the capacity so we can achieve these milestones and we, and we talk about how we can move forward to, to alleviate those fears that the customer has from um, hiring you. So right. I don't do it one-on-one, -on -one, but I certainly, certainly in that communicating the value. And sometimes I communicate the value uh, like I, when I want to go back to my real estate development guy, you know, I stood my ground. I said, you really need to do it this way. And he fought me until he went, right. aha. So sometimes you communicate the value by demonstrating you have a better vision. So you're communicating that value to him because when they make the transformation to see it the way you see it, you've really communicated the value. Right. I, I think this goes back to what Mahan Khalsa said, how you sell 
is indicative of how you solve. And so this, if, if you really approach the value conversation with great skill and great art, you're going to differentiate yourself from your competitor. Well, Dan, we need to take a break. But uh, in the meantime, folks, please follow the show at verisage.com slash TSOE. You can also email Ed or myself, TSOE at verisage.com. We love getting your emails. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Four new employees, a 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. You've experienced it. Marketing and selling has changed dramatically in the last few years. The search engine has completely altered the way customers buy. Your clients are now driving the process their way. At Leading Results, we know how to work with this. We don't just jump in and start doing. Together, we plan your marketing strategy. Install a website that gets results and create lead generation programs that drive sales. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more and to schedule a 30-minute conversation with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. are tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit verisage.com you may also tweet us at verisage that's v-e-r-a-s-a-g-e now back to the soul of enterprise and we're back with dan morris dan we've been through really three of the four c's and the last two are convince and capture and in the interest of time, I want to jump to that last one and talk about capture and, and ask ask you this: what's what's the Dan Morris secret sauce on setting price? What do you, what do you do to set price? Well, I look for pricing markers, meaning what are, what clues can I pick up from the customer if um, about their price sensitivity and how they perceive value? Is it is it that? Is it the timing of their work? Is it the novelty of the solution? I also, when I've communicated the value, uh, they kind of understand where we're, what our opportunities are, and I and I give examples of how I've resolved this kind of an area for somebody else. And you know, golly whoppers, they paid me X, right? And then I look to see if they recoil. If they don't recoil, then then theirs could be X plus. If they do recoil, it might be X minus. Uh, we look for tip clauses, opportunities for for you know if we achieve you know really superstar results, um, will they they will have the opportunity to uh, pay us more? It's not about the money. It's about making sure that we don't give away our firm's intellectual capital to lowball price you know pricing customers. And also, it's 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 aligned to make sure that we we whatever our price is, it has to be less than whatever the value is to the customer because they they have to have a profit as well. Um, 
so so through our conversation i'm i'm trying to lay clues or i'm i'm trying to seek for clues from the customer about where they think this could be going from a pricing standpoint and uh, then of course we had concepts of terms and and other ways to make sure that the firm that the firm does well and do you generally offer different options or choices in your price Yes, I mean options. Options. There's wisdom in options. I'm getting better at those. Uh, historically, I've provided options as to um, included or excluded certain types of activities. Uh, in, in a tax world, that might be with or without prepaid audit representation. That might be wealth planning or a visit with their estate attorney, so we can just be part of that expert team. Uh, in larger consultancy cases, it can be. Um, Pricing options. It can be tip clauses. It can be based on uh, other other service milestones. W- what does the customer? How much work does the customer want to do versus what we can do in house? Right. In other words, how much risk do they? How much risk in the partaking do they want to take? So you look for ways to give them different choices because when we give them choices, it helps clarify their decision faster. And you've used this uh, phrase tip a couple times. I just want to just take 30 seconds, Dan, and, and talk specifically about the, the tip clause. Yeah, I mean, I think the tip clause says, hey, look, uh, we, we've, we've had a conversation about the scope and the price and the services of the, of the project. And sometimes, sometimes our work creates a windfall. And when we do it that well, I'd like to think that the customer is willing to, like they tip their waiter, pay us more in honor of the value that we created. And uh, it's a difficult conversation. It's not a contingent fee. It's not a commission. It's a what we really, really call a retrospective price clause that says the customer, who's the sole arbiter of value in the subjective theory of, of economics, would, would be able to say, you know what? The truth is, I owe you more money because you did a better job than anybody could have expected, and I'm better off for it, and I'm willing to pay a commensurate value. Dan, one of uh, I, I know you wear a Rolex watch that was actually one of your tip stories. Uh, can, you, can you just briefly share that story with our listeners? Because I think it's great. Yeah, one, one, one day in December, there was a FedEx box that was delivered to the office, and it had my name on it, and I wasn't expecting a FedEx, FedEx, so, of course, we opened it, and that's always a good tip, by the way. Send things by FedEx, they get opened. And yes. inside was this, this Rolex Submariner watch, and beautiful stainless steel bracelet, black face, and on the back, it said, many thanks, Jesse. And there was no note, but I knew who it was. And Jesse was a good customer of mine. And, and Jesse, Jesse's a dentist, but he also had multiple investments in other vehicles. And he would fly me with him to the partner meetings and have me play a role both as his advocate advisor and ultimately I generally became some form of a moderator for the partners. And he wanted to let me know that he appreciated me so much that he went out and he gave me this gift. And I'm, in fact, I'm wearing it today. And um, it's, it's one of the nicest tips I've ever received because it'll, it allowed him to share something with me, customized, besides money, to let me know that he thought something of value that I provided. 
Right, right. And I remember it was something pretty extraordinary that you did for him on a very, very short timeline, too, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, one of the things I did, he, he had the opportunity to buy his house, their, his wife, their dream house and dream property, and he needed a financial statement literally within 12 hours to to apply for the kind of loan he needed and it was spring and it was in the middle of a, a baseball and my son was playing baseball at the time and I took this phone call and literally I had two partners and by 9:30 that night we had delivered a set of financial statements that wasn't even on our radar and wow. he paid for us for that I right. mean he paid a handsome sure. price for the financial statements themselves but it was because we had the team spirit that said for him and we knew he was a good customer we we would be able to do this and give him something so he had the opportunity to you know give his wife the thing that she'd really like and he didn't get it in the auction right and yet he, he didn't, still he did, tipped yeah, you yeah he failed so, so he failed, but he still tipped you because he really appreciated how yeah. you yeah, pulled together. Dan, last question because we're, we're running up against the clock here, unfortunately. But, you know, in any transaction, there's three elements. There's cost to the seller, which the customer could care less about. There's the price, which, of course, the customer tries to minimize. But the one area where the, the, there's complete alignment is in value. Both sides are trying to maximize it, like you say, so the customer can earn a profit and the seller can earn a profit. Why do you think most professionals are terrified of the value conversation? I think they're terrified of it, Ron, because they don't understand it. And and if they don't understand it, they don't want to look they don't want to look like they're they're finding their way, right? So it's easier to avoid it than to risk having somebody trying to figure out what the real value is because it could be it could be that the price that the people are charging is below the or is above the value that they're providing and that would be a scary conversation and that's why they have write downs in most firms and not write ups because ultimately their price is above the value that was provided and the customers reject the ultimate price i think they're just afraid of it right Dan, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for appearing on The Soul of Enterprise. We really appreciate your thoughts and insights into this incredible uh, value conversation. It really is one of the most fascinating things that I I find in my uh, business career. So thanks for being on the show. Yes, thanks, Dan. Uh, Ron, what do we got coming up next week? Well, I'm excited about next week because the gentleman that we have on as a guest is one of the reasons Dan and I are even uh, even found each other and are together. We have Joseph Pine, Ed, next week. He is the author, co-author of The Experience Economy, which is the book that uh, launched me and Dan together. And he's also written a couple of uh, new books called The Laws of Managing and Infinite Possibility. So we'll explore with him all three books, but with a real focus on the experience economy. I'm just absolutely thrilled this guy is is just a genius. Uh, so next week is Joseph Pine. Well, awesome. I guess I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, feel free to visit us at www.verisage.com slash T-S-O-E.
again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.